0: Well, good morning, church. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Book of Romans. We're looking at uh, Romans chapter 15 today, verses 14 to 33. That's page uh, 949 in the pew Bibles. If you want to follow along, there. We've uh, been studying Romans for uh, at least almost a year, at least a year, I think. By now, we're we're coming close to the end as we. Um, Get uh, as we look at the end of chapter 15 today. Uh, 25 years ago, I read a paragraph that changed my life. And uh, I'm not exaggerating. It really, really did um, change my life. Stephanie and I were at Bible college together, and we took a class together um, titled the, the Biblical Basis for Missions. And the professor assigned a book, Um, by an author that I I didn't know a whole lot about at the time. I had heard of him, but didn't know much about him. That author was John Piper. That book was Let the Nations Be Glad. And the very first paragraph of that book just um, riveted my attention. Here's what it says. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't worship is ultimate not missions because god is ultimate not man when this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of god missions will be no more it is a temporary necessity but worship abides forever and and that that paragraph just um it it enthralled us we were we were Inspired by this vision, that that missions, yes, is about compassion for our neighbors, but but first and foremost, missions is about calling men and women all over this world to bow before King Jesus because He's worthy to be praised. And um, you know, we planned to be missionaries after we got married. We had even started looking into some potential opportunities. We were working with our church toward that end. And as it turns out, God had different plans for us. I know that because I'm here standing before you today and not somewhere else. Um, but, but here's something that I've come, that's become clearer to me over the years. And I don't think I quite understood it, um, all those years ago. And, and, and it's this missions is not just for missionaries. Missions is not just for missionaries. Missions is for the church as a whole. The, the church of Jesus Christ and every local church of Jesus Christ is a missional community sent by God into the world to bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yes, missions is done on the other side of the world, but missions is also done right here in our city, right here in where we're at, uh, Escondido, San Diego County, in our neighborhoods and in our communities. God has designed the church of Jesus Christ to be mission-shaped. That, that's his design. And and we might wonder, well, what does that look like? And, and we're going to see today in, in the passage here in Romans 15 what a, a mission-shaped church looks like. And we'll see several characteristics. And just to, to orient us, Paul has finished his exposition and application of the gospel. He's spent 15 and a half chapters just unpacking the, the good news of Jesus Christ, the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and, and how that impacts and shapes our lives now as Christians. And, and now as he brings the letters, begins bringing the letter to a close, he, it's almost like he steps back a bit and he reflects on his apostolic ministry and his calling, and he, he lays out for the church in Rome some of his future ministry plans, and he does this for a number of reasons. One is he's hoping the church in Rome will partner with him and support him in his mission to Spain. But but also, and Paul's really been aiming at this since the the very first word of the letter, he's hoping to inspire the Roman church to be mission-shaped, to be a mission-shaped Church. So let's look at what he says, uh, Romans 15, beginning in in verse 14. I'm going to read all the way through the end of the chapter. You can follow along um, in the Pew Bible or, or in your order of worship. This is God's Word. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand." This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, By our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we pray that you would send your Spirit now, that you would open up your Word to us. Would you help us to understand it and believe it, and would you change us by it, we ask in the the name of our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, today I I want you to see three characteristics of a mission-shaped church, and and here they are. Number one, a mission-shaped church is grounded in the gospel. Number two, a mission-shaped church reaches the unreached. And number three, a mission-shaped church builds gospel partnerships. So a mission-shaped church is grounded in the gospel, reaches the unreached, and builds gospel partnerships. So first, let's let's think about what it means to be grounded in the gospel. We see this in verses 14 to 16. Now, Now Paul has just um, dealt with some very sensitive issues in in chapters 14 and the beginning of of chapter 15. Um, Namely, uh, unity in the church, and especially between uh, Gentile Christians in the church and Jewish Christians in the church. They had differing um, ideas about how to relate to the the law of Moses, the Jewish law. And Paul's counsel to them was, was simple. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you and, and as we thought about what that might mean in our context over the last few weeks, maybe you felt like your toes were getting stepped on a little bit. No doubt some of the, the original readers in Rome felt the same way. And so, so Paul, knowing the sensitivity of what he's been saying, he follows up with a commendation to them, a commendation of them. He, he says in verse 14 that he's, he's confident they're spiritually mature. And he notes three things about them. Number one, they're they're Christian virtue. He says they're full of goodness, full of goodness, meaning um, kindness and compassion and, and generosity. It's a, a fruit of the spirit. Uh, second, he he commends their their knowledge of the Christian of Christian truth. He says they're full of knowledge. They they know the truth of the gospel. They believe the truth of the gospel, and they're seeking to live out. Um, that truth, and then third, he notes their their spiritual gifting. He says, "I'm confident you're able to instruct one another. It could be translated admonish or or counsel one another. And and what he means here is not so much a, a formal teaching ministry, but these Christians are mature. They understand the Christian faith." And they're able to, to apply it to each other's lives. They're able to help each other understand how the gospel works out in their particular lives and, and circumstances. And, and so Paul, you know, he, he speaks this word of, of commendation, and maybe some of the original readers are thinking, well, if you believe we're already spiritually mature, why have you spent so many chapters unpacking the gospel? And he, and he tells us in verse 15 why. He's exercising a ministry of reminder. He says, on some points I, I have written to you very boldly. So he acknowledges, I, I've, I've been bold in what I've said, but I've been doing this by way of reminder. You see that there? By way of, of reminder. You see, in a sense, the Roman Christians already knew the things Paul has been writing. They, they knew them, they've heard them, they believe them. They're a Christian church. Um, this wasn't the first time they had heard about the grace of God in the gospel, but but Paul knows uh, they need fresh reminders, right? Fresh reminders of the gospel, new ways of of seeing and understanding old truths, and and this is true really of of all uh, ministry of preaching and teaching is is basically a ministry of reminder. You know, when Craig and I stand up here each week, we're really not saying anything new. And you're probably thinking, I know, we hear the same thing over and over again. Um, You know, our goal isn't really to wow you with something you've never heard. Um, What we're doing is trying to unpack the the gospel of Jesus Christ week by week and in all of its dimensions. In a sense, uh, the message is the same every week, but hopefully there's a, a freshness to it. We, we never finish exploring the depths of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And so Paul wants the church at Rome to be grounded in the gospel. And, he's, and that's why he's been exercising this ministry of reminder. And it's really interesting what he, what he says about himself, how he envisions this ministry in verse 16. Um, he, he sees himself uh, like one of the, the Old Testament priests in the temple offering a sacrifice of worship and praise to God. And only the sacrifices here, this priestly service he engages in, he's not offering animals. He's not offering food, but but people. And and in particular, he talks about offering the Gentiles as a sacrifice, Paul being the, the apostle to the Gentiles. And And his goal, he says, is to ground them in the gospel so they'll be an acceptable sacrifice to God, a a pleasing sacrifice, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, you you remember how Paul began in chapter 12. um, Because of God's mercies, offer yourselves as living sacrifices to him. And the, the better grounded you are in the gospel, the better able you are to yield yourself to God as a living sacrifice. And so Paul exercises this, this ministry of reminder, preaching the gospel to Christians so that they'll be grounded in the gospel. But, but we're talking about what, what it means to be a, a mission-shaped church. Why is it so important for a, a mission-shaped church to be grounded in the gospel? And, and here's how I would, I would put it. You, we can't give away what we ourselves don't possess. We can't give away what we ourselves don't possess. If, if we ourselves aren't rooted and grounded in Christ, rooted and grounded in the truth of the gospel, I mean, how do we expect to persuade others to believe it? And, and I don't mean you need to have an answer for every objection somebody raises or you need to, um, you need to be able to refute every false idea that comes your way. It's just not possible to do that. But, but if we don't know and understand the gospel, if, if we aren't convinced that salvation is found in Christ alone, that um, if we're not clear that, that Jesus is God's answer to humanity's problem, I mean, mission just falls by the wayside. We've seen that historically, right? I mean, in, in our own country, uh, the mainline denominations for the, the past century and a half uh, many of which have, have compromised core Christian beliefs, you know, the, the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, or or the human sinfulness and the need for the grace of God, and and the the result has been just decline. The churches are, are dying. They they've given up on mission. If 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 a church abandons the gospel or compromises the gospel, it doesn't have anything to offer the world. But but on the flip side. You know, a church that is rooted in the in the gospel, that is rooted in Christ and grounded in, in the truth of the gospel, and being changed by the gospel, being renewed by the gospel, which Paul has been talking about, um, that that church is a powerful witness to the truth of the gospel. And you know how it is when when you're excited about something, you want to tell other people about it, right? Um, you, you, you discover a new restaurant, and, and the meals there just wowed your taste buds, and you 're like i 've got to tell somebody about this. You have to taste this food um, and when the gospel gets a hold of you when it 's more than just you know, intellectual truths that you like to debate, but when you 're when you're wowed by god 's love, when you 're thrilled by his grace you 're going to tell other people about it now i don 't mean to say evangelism 's easy because it 's not. Um, you know, it, it's intimidating. It's difficult. Um, I, I'm a full-time pastor. I find evangelism very challenging. But, but here's the thing. Um, you know, the, the, that gospel joy that takes root in our hearts through Jesus Christ, it's sort of like um, a beach ball. You know, and you can you can try to push a beach ball under the the water, and you can hold it down for a little bit, but eventually it's going to come up to the surface, right? It's just going to keep pushing up above the water, and and it's like that with the gospel when it's when you're grounded in the truths of the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ, um, it overflows in a in a life of of witness um, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So first, what does a, a mission shaped church look like? It's grounded in the gospel but second, uh, a mission-shaped church reaches the unreached it reaches the unreached and we, we see this in verses 17 to 21 um, Paul here he he continues to describe his his ministry here in this section and and I want to start from the the end of what he says and work our way backwards look at look at verses 20 and 21. Paul spells out his mission strategy. He says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Where? Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So this is Paul's strategy. Paul purposefully and intentionally goes where Christ is not confessed, where no one knows about Christ, no one's heard the Gospel. He goes to places full of idolatry, full of indifference to the, the one true God, and that's where he shut, sets up shop and preaches the Gospel. And he, he goes there and he preaches, and, and people believe, and, and a church uh, is is born. And so Paul... His understanding of, of mission was rooted in the Old Testament scriptures. You can see there he he quotes Isaiah 52 in support of his, his strategy. Isaiah 52 really talking about the ministry of God's servant, the Messiah. And Paul sees his own ministry as an extension of, of Christ's ministry. And, and Paul describes here how he, he followed this strategy in, in really an arc across the the eastern Mediterranean. Look at verse 19. He says, From Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And Illyricum is, is the modern-day um, Balkan region in southeast Europe. And, and what does Paul mean here? He says, I've, I've fulfilled the ministry of the gospel. I've fulfilled the ministry of the gospel. Uh, what does it mean? There's no one left to evangelize? Um, no, not at all. Um, Paul, in this, this ministry arc from Jerusalem to Illyricum, he, he went to strategic cities, cities where there was no gospel witness, planted churches, taught the believers, trained leaders, and then he moved on and, and started all over again. He He expected the churches that he planted to do the work of evangelism. You know, Paul's vision is to, to plant a church and then the gospel radiates out from that local church. And, and Paul um, spent about 10 years in, in this pioneering church planting mission. That most of the book of Acts is taken up with, with Paul's work that he's talking about here. It was really quite an accomplishment, but, but notice Paul doesn't take any credit for it. Uh, verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything accept what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. And, and the obedience he's talking about here is how he, is what he speaks of at the beginning of the letter and the end, the obedience of faith, the, the life of obedience to God that flows out of saving faith in Jesus Christ. And So Paul says, look, I'm not going to boast about what I've done because this has been Christ's work through me. That, that's my boast. And, and really, when we're talking about being a, a mission-shaped church, we have to realize evangelism and mission, they're really God's work. Um, God is a missionary God. I mean, you think back to the beginning chapters of the Bible, and Adam and Eve rebel against God, and they, they try to hide from God. And what does God do? He searches for them. He finds them. He goes after them and restores them to himself. Jesus is the, the ultimate missionary, leaving uh, heaven to come to earth to redeem a people for himself. The, the Holy Spirit has been sent into the world to draw people to Christ. Missions is, is God's work. That's why Paul can say, this isn't, I haven't done this. Christ has done this, but God uses means, right? He uses people like Paul. He uses people like you and, and me. Um, he uses his church. The, the church of Jesus Christ is an instrument in Jesus' hands to reach the unreached. And, and how? Well, Paul talks here about a, a ministry of, of word and deed at the end of verse 18. In other words, it's a, a verbal and visual witness to the gospel. We, we bear witness to the gospel with our words and we embody it through our lives in, in deeds of compassion and, and mercy. Verse 19, he, he talks about... Um, the power of the Spirit of God. It's just amazing that the Spirit of God takes our feeble words, our feeble attempts to tell other people about Jesus and in our imperfect works. You know, they're supposed to be works of mercy and compassion. They're often mingled with the desire to be noticed and so forth. But he uses these imperfect words and works to draw people to Jesus Christ. And then, what are we to make of um, Paul mentions here performing signs and and wonders? and there's a lot that could be said. we don't have time to dig into it today. I will say this um, in, in 2 Corinthians twelve the the only other place Paul talks about signs and wonders, he says they're the the marks of a true apostle. Signs and wonders are the marks of a true apostle they They had an authenticating function they they distinguished between true apostles and false apostles. and An apostle is someone who was personally and directly commissioned by the risen Lord Jesus Christ to bear witness to his resurrection. And that's not true of anyone today. We don't have apostles today in that sense. And so you know, by implication, we shouldn't expect anyone to exercise a ministry of signs and wonders today now, now does that mean God is no longer in the miracle business you know god 's hands are tied he can 't do something miraculous um, not at all i mean we 've been talking about uh, god 's sovereignty in in discipleship hour. Our God is in the heavens, he does as he pleases, um, but but the apostolic era is over and so Paul here in this section he he talks about his passion, what, what drives him. It's, it's his ambition to reach the unreached. And, and did Paul care about the internal life of the church? Of course he did. He, he cared deeply about the life of the church, but but Paul's gaze, you know, it's constantly turning outward. As much as he loves the, the people of God and, and the church, his gaze... Um, is constantly moving outward toward those who are outside of the fellowship and, and of course, you might be thinking, well, Paul was an apostle, and, and yes, he was, he had a, a unique calling. Paul had special gifts, and not every Christian is called to be a pioneering missionary, not every christian is is called to set aside what they 're doing now and and head off to the the middle of nowhere to tell people about jesus christ but but I do think this, this mindset that Paul has of reaching the unreached, it should shape how we as a church do mission here. How we as a church seek to be a, a faithful witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ right here in, in Escondido and beyond. Um, you know, Studies have been done on, on church life, and, and, and they've shown that after a church has existed for about 10 to 15 years, um, it basically stops growing by conversion, and, and what do I mean by that? I, I mean that um, it, it's no longer reaching unchurched, um, unreached people. Most of the growth comes by way of of transfer, like eighty to ninety percent of the growth, you know, existing Christians either uh, changing congregations or, or Christians move to the area and join the church. And you know, the the longer a church has been around. Um, it just kind of naturally becomes more internally focused, right? And um, most of its resources and, and time and, and energy go toward caring for the needs of, of the members. And, and that's good. And it's right. And, and even desirable in, 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 to a large degree. But, um, you know, established congregations are typically more stable, they have more resources, better equipped to care for people's needs. But, but over time, what happens is that, that outward-facing mindset, that, that ambition to reach the unreached um, just kind of fades and, and disappears. And, and missiologists have studied this dynamic, and here's what they've concluded. that The best way to reach new people with the gospel is not an evangelistic program, not that those are bad, but it's not an evangelistic program. The best way to, to increase the number of Christians in our city is to plant churches, to plant churches. Um, 30 to 60% of the new members in new congregations are new converts. 30 to 60%. Not not transfers, not existing Christians just shuffling along, but but new believers who have heard the gospel and believe the gospel through the ministry of this church plant and, and church planting is the way to reach the unreached, uh, not not just in you know far off somewhere else, but but right here in Escondido. And, and let me let me add, um, the other elders and I are very happy to have transfers. You know, if you've been checking out GBC uh, from some other church, we're not going to tell you. You know, there's the door. Go along your way. We're very happy to have you here. Um, but, but our goal is not to become a megachurch. Um, do we want to grow? Yes. Do we want to get bigger than we are now? We, we do. But what we really want is multiplication. That, that's what we're really after. Not, not to just become this big beast of, of a congregation. We want to be a church-planting church. Planting church. Uh, we, we live in a very secular part of the world. Uh, I know that's not news to you. A very secular part of the world. Many of our neighbors have never heard the gospel. There are pockets of, of San Diego County that are very dark, very unreached, and we want to reach those who have never heard. And we want to do that by planting churches. And, and there's no plan in place right now, okay? This is just a, this is just a dream and a prayer, but but you got to start somewhere, right? And it, it, we this is what we would love to be and do in the future. So wh- what does a mission-shaped church look like? A mission-shaped church is grounded in the gospel. A mission-shaped church reaches the unreached. And third, a mission-shaped church builds gospel partnerships. It builds gospel partnerships. In, in this last um, section, verses 22 to 23, um, Paul, he invites the church at Rome to partner with him. He invites them to partner with him in, in the work of the gospel. And he talks about two different kinds of, two different ways to partner with him. Um, number one, financial support. And number two, prayer. First, uh, financial support. Look at what he says, beginning in verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. So his ministry in the east of um, planting churches uh, took priority over coming to, to Rome. He says, verse 23, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. So he intends to... To head west to Rome, but Rome's really not the the final destination. It's a stepping stone um, to Spain on the the western edges of the empire. And and notice he says there that he hopes to be helped by the church in Rome. And that that Greek term translated to be helped, um, it's more than just a friendly send off. You know, Paul's not saying, "I, I hope we can have a little potluck while I'm there and you guys can, you know, fill my belly and send me on my way. Um, this this term means assisting someone in making a journey by providing food or money or traveling companions, even providing the, the means of, of travel. You see, ministry takes money. It's expensive. And, and Paul wasn't independently wealthy. I mean, we do know Paul worked to support himself at times. He worked as a tent maker. But, but Paul depended on, on other churches to fund his mission, and and other churches partnered with Paul. You can see he talks about them there in um, verses 25, 26, and 27. Uh, the churches in in Macedonia and Achaia, which is northern Greece and and southern Greece, and they um, gave financially to a collection. For, for needy Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And, and Paul talks about this collection at, at length in, in 2 Corinthians. It was um, something Paul spearheaded. He spent a lot of time going around to the different church, Gentile churches, um, gathering resources to give to the, the needy Jewish Christians in, in Jerusalem. And, and Paul describes how he plans to deliver this um, relief package, you could call it, personally. To to go to Jerusalem personally and deliver it, and um, you know this wasn't only about showing compassion; it was also in a, Paul's attempt to um, promote unity between the the Gentile churches and the Jewish church in Jerusalem. If you've been here for the Roman studies, you know they had a hard time accepting each other, and so those churches partnered with Paul. And then he, he describes in verse 28, after, after I'm done there in Jerusalem, I'm going to come and visit you and then on to Spain. And this this itinerary that, that Paul describes in the verses, um, it, it covers roughly 3,000 miles. So Paul's most likely in Corinth, when he writes this, he plans to head east to Jerusalem, which is about an 800-mile journey, then to travel west from Jerusalem to Rome, which is about 1,500 miles, and then the final leg of the journey from Rome to Spain, further west, another 700 miles. All this travel takes resources. And, and Paul hoped the Romans would, would support him, at least in this last leg of the mission and and Paul here this wasn't just about hey here's here's um, you know a bucket drop your coins in Paul Paul saw this as a partnership in the gospel and that's how he talks about the, the support from the church in Philippi he, he, it's a partnership in gospel work partnering through financial support but also you can see there verses 30 to 33 prayer prayer. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. And he makes two two requests. Um, protection, he says, that I may be delivered from unbelievers in Judea. Um, Paul was not a popular person in Judea and in Jerusalem. Um, the the non-Christian Jewish leaders there viewed him as an apostate. They viewed him as a, as a threat to their whole way of life, and they, they wanted to get rid of him. He had good reason to fear for his safety. So he asks that they pray for protection. But second, he asks for prayers for a successful mission. He says, pray that my service for Jerusalem, that collection from the Gentile churches, may be acceptable to the saints you know it's it's never easy to um, accept help from others, especially um, financial help right you know it kind of gets at our our pride and our sense of uh, self sufficiency. but there was really um more to it for the Jewish Christians um, receiving aid from the Gentile churches would would symbolize solidarity and equality in christ and and so Paul asks the Romans, to pray. Pray for my gospel ministry. And, and he says in verse 32, if, if all goes well in Jerusalem, um, he'll be free to visit Rome. But you notice he adds, by God's will. By God's will. And um, it was God's will for Paul to visit Rome, but, but not exactly how he envisioned it. You know the story. He, he goes to Jerusalem. He's arrested He's imprisoned years later. He does make it to Rome, but as a a prisoner of of Caesar, not not how he uh, planned it. But but Paul here invites the church at Rome to to build a gospel partnership with him. He he couldn't have done that pioneering work without their help. And, and, And it's not just true for Paul's day. Gospel partnerships today are crucial for the advancing of the gospel um God has designed us both as as churches and individuals so that we can't accomplish his mission alone. Uh, we can't accomplish it alone. No one church has all the resources needed to accomplish the mission. Um you know the the average church in the US, you know how many members the average church in the US has? Um seventy five or fewer. I mean, most churches in our country struggle to even pay their own pastor, let alone send missionaries to other parts of the world. Um, but through gospel partnerships, you know, small churches, churches like Grace Bible Church, can can multiply their impact. And you know, we're a church like many other churches. We we've got dreams that are are bigger than um, you know the the balance in our savings account. Um, but but we've been able to establish partnerships with, with men and women doing gospel work in different parts of the world. And we've been able to increase our fruitfulness by coming alongside others. I mean, Craig mentioned the weavers who are working among First Nations peoples in, in Canada. They're going to be here next month, and we get to hear about their ministry. Um, we, this little church called Grace Bible Church tucked in, in Hidden Valley, Escondido, um, has been able to have a, a global impact through gospel partnerships with others um, you know what many nations need is is not evangelists from the US what they, what they need is trainers you know many uh, many pastors and church planters in these other countries they don 't have access to theological education and and but the churches in in the west can send teachers and mentors and we 've been able to do that I don't know if you know this, but, but the Leightons in Spain, yes, they're a part of a local church there, but Matt's primary focus is training men and women to do gospel ministry in Spain and other parts of, of Latin America. We've been able to come alongside the, the church in Spain to do that. Um, Tom and Patty have gone to Uganda twice a year for nearly 10 years to train pastors and, and ministry leaders. Um, we've even been able to partner with local organizations here in in our own area, organizations that are doing um, mercy ministries, you know, AMC Alternatives, um, the Women's Resource Center in Oceanside. Some of you I know have been begun working with Hope for San Diego, meeting, serving, you know, the most vulnerable and needy and marginalized people in, in our county, and and. There's no way Grace Bible Church could run all those kinds of ministries. You know, those organizations are doing great work, serving our neighbors. We just simply do not have the, the resources or the people power to do work like that on our own, but we've been able to support their work. And, and, and I know our, our gospel partners, you know, they, they value our financial support, but I think more than anything else, they, they value our prayers. You know, Paul here uh, asks for prayer. He does that frequently in his letters. Pray f- that I will have boldness to preach the gospel. Pray that my service in, in Jerusalem will be acceptable. Pray that the gospel would advance through me. You know, our partners send us newsletters with, with prayer requests asking for the very same thing. Pray that the gospel would take root where we're working. And so gospel partnerships, you know. Some go. Some some of us are called to go to the far-off places. Many of us are called to stay and support. And and God, He He consider, considers it all uh, gospel work. And so a, a mission-shaped church. That that's what we want to be, a community sent into the world. We want to be a, a mission-shaped church, a church that's rooted and grounded in the the good news of Jesus Christ. We want to know it, we want to believe it, we want to be transformed by it, and we want to proclaim it. We want to be a church that that reaches the the unreached, you know. We don't want to settle for a holy huddle. Do, do you know what I mean by a holy huddle? Where we just kind of gather around as Christians and kind of isolate ourselves from the surrounding world, and we kind of just hunker down in the in the Christian ghetto and and wait things out we we want to follow in the footsteps of our Savior he, he came as a light to those in darkness and and, and that light has broken into our lives and, and we want to be bearers of that light we want to bring the light of the gospel to those who sit in darkness we want we want to build gospel partnerships you know we want uh, we want to recognize that the, the kingdom of God is bigger than Grace Bible Church. It's bigger than Grace Bible Church. I mean, God is, is at work across the world. God is at work here in San Diego County. He's working through his people in ministries of word and deed. And, and we want to partner with them. We, we want to be a mission-shaped church. And, and as we strive to, to be that kind of church, we have God's promise, verse 33, that the God of peace will be with us. The, the God who has made peace with us through Jesus Christ, he, he not only sends us into the world as His church, He goes with us into the world and He empowers us to be messengers of peace to be gospel witnesses, agents of of His peaceable kingdom. And that's who we are as a church. That's who we want to be as the church of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Our God and Father, we, we come close to finishing our study of the book of Romans. We thank You for Your marvelous grace. We thank You for the gift of Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to pay the debt that we owed because of our sin and guilt. We thank You for His sacrifice at the cross. We thank You for His triumphant resurrection. We thank You for the gift of Your Spirit who now dwells in us and is transforming us into the image of Christ. We thank You for sending Your Spirit to empower us to be a a mission-shaped church. We pray that as we uh, go deeper in our understanding of of the good news, that you would cause us to be a a people who bear witness to it, a people who reach the unreached, a a congregation who is self-consciously a missional community sent into the world as agents of your kingdom. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.